You're listening to the Ship Bob Operator Series. Each week, your host, Casey Armstrong, e-com veteran, is joined by founders, operators, and insiders who are bringing along their stories and data to give you the exclusive inside scoop and tactics from those who have been there, done it, and gotten their hands dirty. You can tune in for a live recording Wednesdays. Head to operators.shipbob.com for the details. But until then, enjoy this audio replay. Perfect. Hey, welcome everybody. Casey Armstrong over here. This is episode seven of our operator series. Uh, have a, I'm very excited with the guests that we have today. We had an awesome episode last week. Tons of engagement and questions from you all. Hope we get that again this week. Uh, to start off, if everybody, I don't know which direction we've got the chat box, um, but if you guys want to drop in where you're, uh, where you're calling in from or dialing in from, I'm, I'm over here in uh, Orange County, California. I know we've got uh, everybody else is pretty much on the East Coast over here. We've got Kurt who's out in Chicago, but uh, drop in your locations over here. We've got DC, Nick Cotter over on our team. He's coming in from Cape Cod, so he might be trying to one up all of us. Are we <laughs> Boston? So we've got uh, to, again to jump into the guests. We've got Mike Peters here. He's the one sporting the white shirt. I was expecting uh, the Tom Brady or maybe a Gronk jersey. Uh, he's. <laughs> He's VP of Ops over at TB12. They provide apparel, supplements, workout gear from Tom Brady. Uh, he's obviously kept us a little entertained, us, us sports-starved people like myself looking for anything as he uh, takes, his, takes his talent down to Tampa. Here we go. I see Dustin from South, South Florida. We've got Cheryl from Tampa. So we probably have some really happy people here on the TB12 side. We also have Kurt Elster. He's an advisor and operator at Hoonigan, Lino's Garage, KeySmart. He's uh, the founder of uh, Aethercycle. He's also the, the founder and host of the unofficial Shopify podcast. He also had a, a nice screenshot in Shopify earnings reports, which came out earlier today as well. So uh, I, I guess we've got a celebrity in our hands. And then uh, last but not least, we have Nick Sharma, who's the founder of Sharma Brands, invests and advises and operates some of the leading DTC brands, people we've, we've all heard of, Chacha Macha, who's a, a ShipBob customer, Judy, who I'm very excited to dig into the stuff that you guys did there. Talk about being prescient and ahead of the times in yeah, proper wilds, another ship Bob customer. Awesome. House hydrant, uh, and plenty more. Who's on the Forbes 30 under 30, uh, last year. So again, great, great list today. And either the chat or the questions, please start dropping stuff in, but to get things kicked off, Mike question for you. First, you moving from Boston to Tampa. <laughs> Not in the plans as yet. You know, both of our uh, sports performance recovery centers are in the Boston area. So um, still headquartered here and making moves uh, with uh, with the Tampa market. But um, no move in place yet. Okay. Casey had that ready for, what, two weeks now, Casey? Uh, wait, you're trolling <laughs> me already? We're like two minutes into this? Um, so obviously this was – I know you and I spoke before he made the announcement – I don't know if anybody knew. I know you kept your lips closed and you were also probably trying to figure out what, you know, Tom Brady was going to decide anyways. Since right. then, you know, again, that's really brought, I'd say, a, a good distraction for us during these times. And you guys have gotten a, a huge influx of earned media. So tell us a little bit about that, how you guys have juggled that, what that looked like uh, for the TB12 brand. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was a, um, you know, it was a process that, you know, Tom played out in his way 
thinking about, you know, football, his family. And so kind of a natural progress for, for an NFL free agent, I suppose. So we, you know, we worked pretty closely with him, tried to develop a bunch of plans based on the options as they were kind of coming into, into full view. And then obviously like the decision happened right around the time that a lot of the countries started to go into lockdown. And so a lot of eyes, you know, a lot of people just looking for something sports related to, to talk about and think about. So um, we were very fortunate to have that earned media, as you said, and also have a, a product base that kind of resonates with at home fitness, nutrition and supplementation. That's gone you know, pretty well. Awesome. Well, I want to circle back to the at home fitness stuff in a minute. But Nick, we'll jump over to you. So as I mentioned briefly, Judy, if you want to share with the audience a little bit of you know, what, what Judy provides uh, when you guys launched and, and how that's gone. Yeah, Judy is essentially a brand that tries to educate and really personify preparedness for consumers around the world. And so the first line of products that we have is the Judy kits, the preparedness kits. So they are kits. They come, uh, the flagship is called the safe. It comes with six modules, food, warmth, safety, first aid, tools, water. And I always forget what the last one was. That wasn't six. But um, essentially, the goal is that any emergency, whether it's a, an earthquake where you know, you're trapped for 72 hours, which is the average time people get trapped before they get found by emergency services. So if, it, if it's an earthquake or if it's a, uh, you know, you, you scraped your knee trying to learn how to skateboard, like Judy's got you covered. And that's the whole goal. And um, so, yeah, we launched on February 28th, I want to say. It came in super handy for COVID, um, which was great, but also very scary. <laughs> we uh, didn't predict it. And so we had a lot of things that we learned very quickly in the first month. But anyways, you know, now we're selling preparedness kits. We have digital products that are also coming out soon. We have different variations of the kits that are coming out soon. Yesterday, or sorry, Monday, we launched uh, the Tiger King edition of the safe. And that's essentially this <laughs> it's a marketing campaign. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the whole thought that like, you know, there's so much going on that you need to be prepared for from an from an emergency standpoint and safety standpoint. Yet the entire country is talking about Tiger King. So we put tiger stripes on the case and I'm putting the link in the chat. It's judy.co slash tiger. But we put tiger stripes on. We had Joe Exotic's ex-husband do an ad campaign with us. So he voice did the voiceover. It's the same kit. It's got tiger decals on it. And the whole idea was, can we can we take the what what's on what's top of mind for everybody else and bring it to preparedness so, so um, if you're really jumping on something that's uh you know again providing humor for a product that people do need and really capitalizing on like zeitgeist and what's popular at the time so with an example with joe's exotics ex-husband or whoever that was did you guys go directly to him did you guys utilize cameo like how, how did you guys go about that and then kurt after he answers please feel free to jump in yeah, it was it was all direct, and uh, yeah, I don't know if he's on Cameo. Although that would be a sweet gig for him now. I imagine for any of these Netflix extras, going on Cameo is a sweet way to earn a couple grand a day. Yeah, and Kurt, what would you have for Nick? I love everything that you've done here, and even like this. I see this. Don't be left in the dark. Pop yeah, it's up sick, is the right? coolest thing. Yeah, like the landing page, the design, everything about this screams like awesome DT, cool DTC brand. Yeah, so, I like it. My question for you is, 
you use obviously like to market this thing there's at least some level of humor and i've seen some e-commerce merchants i think are afraid to to crack a joke right now they don't know what is and isn't appropriate so how do you approach humor in light of the bad thing i hate even talking about it let's call it the bad thing trademark i would say i think a couple things like one our whole goal isn't is not like we're anti fear and so like that's in that's the first thing in our brand book is that we're not about fear we're all about trying to find ways to personify preparedness in a way that gets you thinking about it and talking about it amongst your family members and friends and like truly actually getting prepared that said we you know we definitely did a proper pulse check of of the market and our community itself it seemed like at at this point like people are kind of looking for more humor rather than just more news about covid we actually did for the longest time this series called judy good news or or good reads by judy where we would actually find good news around the internet and share it out on instagram but even like that kind of content started to see a dip in engagement i think people are just over brands talking about covid and they're ready for people to get back to being brands yeah i agree and then here here's a great question Nick, have you seen the Judy kits sold all over the U.S. versus just earthquake-heavy locations? Like, I'm in Southern California, so that's, like, a huge thing. Uh, Any surprising hotspots that you've seen? Yeah, definitely, you know, the areas that are most prone to, you know, their own emergency. But, I mean, we ship in all 50 states. We have shipped to all 50 states. We did open up in Puerto Rico and Canada. We're shipping there as well. Hotspots, we, you know, we saw the coastal cities kind of be the first hotspots. I think that's with any direct consumer or e-commerce brand. But the whole idea is that if you're, if you're in Southern California, like you're most prone to earthquakes and wildfires. Whereas if you're in uh, New York, you might be more prone to flooding and terrorism. And so the whole idea is that these kits are designed to be able to accommodate for all these different types of emergencies. But definitely what, what we have seen is like, you know, kind of coming up to that wave of, of a time period or a few months where an emergency becomes more relevant. Like right now we're going into hurricane season, or maybe we're not. I might have gotten that completely wrong. Uh, I know we're definitely going into wildfire season. So we have seen like more inquiries come in specifically about those emergencies. Awesome. Well, I've got some more questions on that, but Kurt, I want to jump to you. So as you know, the, the host of the unofficial Shopify pod. By the way, is that is that titled the unofficial Shopify pod or that's it's like known as the unofficial? Literally, the full title is the unofficial <laughs> Shopify <laughs> podcast. Yes, it is very smart. That was a working title. And then once we had it, we didn't know what else to do. So we just kept I, it. I like it. Those, those are often the best names. So uh, we can give the ship Bob name story later. Also, I always hear people always like, how did they come up with that? Anyways. So again, you get a very, you know, you've been doing this for a while. You oversee and help a a lot of brands succeed as well. Um, I think because of your space in the industry, you also have a very unique vantage point across a large portfolio of of B2C brands. So what have you seen work for your clients lately? And what has surprised you the most? I think what has surprised me the most is how wildly differently it's affected people i mean it's so dependent on who your audience is and what you sell so if you were in like a travel category you know selling luggage not a great time to be selling anything travel related like stuff like that got just hammered but most brands 
by the time we got through March, we're kind of back to to business as usual as far as revenue numbers go. And then a really interesting thing happened. We had several clients in, in early April and late March launch products. I couldn't believe it. They went out, they launched products. The crazy part then was they did extraordinary numbers. Like I couldn't believe it. And then I had a, a, one client, an apparel lifestyle brand, do um, a 72-hour flash sale. They did more in that than they did on Black so- Friday. So I think like the overarching theme was, you know, if you're selling and you're lucky enough to be in, you know, su- categories that people are buying and that those are expanding right now, like home goods. I probably spent more on home goods. I've spent more on home goods and groceries than anything else in the last you know, 10 weeks. But like if you're in one of those categories that benefits, you're doing better than usual. And I think for a lot of brands, they're doing or a little better. And then you have a like probably uh, maybe one in four categories at like worst case got hurt by it. But many of those were able to pivot, sell something else or reposition. And I've got, you know, I can think of a few stories around that as well. But no, I think what's, what has blown me away, my overarching from my, my 10,000 foot view is the sheer number of brands that are doing okay or doing well at the moment. So I have a question on the new products. And before I get to that, I get to see who signed up and is in here. So I know we've got a lot of return attendees, uh, many of you who are running some awesome brands. So I would love if you guys want to drop in the chat also ways that you've maybe pivoted your business or some products that you've launched. And on that, Kurt, are you seeing companies um, launch side brands or separate brands that focus on this new business? Or are you seeing them pivoting and launching uh, different products under the same brand? What are you seeing that's most common? Everything I've seen is say new product for an existing brand. Okay. And I think like I've not I haven't seen anyone launch an entirely new brand. And I have a project I'm working on now where the client team and I the client saying, Hey, do we launch now or do we wait? And my answer to this, I don't know what the right answer is. I really don't when it's a brand new brand. But I lean toward, hey, if you don't launch, you guarantee zero sales. So probably let's go with launch. And if it's like a complete disaster, we'll relaunch again later. Like if nobody saw us launch the first time, we could do it again. Exactly. Call call something new. And the reason I ask is because we've seen kind of a mix of both where we're seeing at ShipBob existing brands will come to us with brand new brands that they're rolling out. Some of our own existing customers will come to us with their new new version. And then like an example is Piper Y, who was talking, uh, I think it was two episodes ago. They had actually been working on a hand sanitizer product for a while for a handful of reasons, they didn't launch it. And then they were able to spin it up quickly through their supply chain and launch it just in a couple of weeks, which which went pretty well. So Mike, I want to get back to you. The home fitness space has been fascinating for me. I know that um, I may have spent a little bit of money in that space. My wife (laughs) keeps doing the same. As we take care of our homes so much more, I'd say, than before, and home fitness is such a top priority. Talk us through that what's been interesting in the surges you've seen and how you guys have positioned TV 12. Yeah, we've always, we've had the products essentially that we have had for a while and um, had really kind of moved the target all over the place a little bit. Obviously like high-end sports performance, portability, kind of an on-the-go type concept. You know, we have a lot of like brand imagery and, you know, outdoors at a, you know, field or a track or something, um, just kind of like brings that vitality to the brand. And then recently, fortuitously, we started doing er, early in the year, like January, 
little bit more like in-home brand messaging. So we have a somewhat innovative anchor system that doesn't require you to actually drill holes into a stud in order to to anchor something to to work out off of. Um, you can actually wrap it around a standard size door. Um, so we started targeting that and then kind of just right at the right time, folks started looking for in-home solutions. Doesn't you know, our resistance band kits, you know, to do a great resistance band workout, you probably need 25 square feet of space very much. And you can pack it up and put it in a in a drawstring bag when you're done and, and put it in, put it under your bed or in the closet and it doesn't uh, kind of live in your space all the time. So this has obviously been helpful. Um, just to have folks uh, to be able to provide folks an outlet. You know, we obviously believe in like the mental health aspects of getting a workout in. And there's obviously a lot of challenges around kind of people changing their lives so much from what they had known. But to be able to provide a product that really helps people, I think, in a few different ways has been great. And then as we kind of sold through at a much higher rate than we had previously, uh, we started to think about ways to reorganize the product and really start to target. So we actually launched what we call now the at-home loop resistance band kit at the end of March. And we've just seen... So we actually had it was called the basic, and then it was called the starter loop band kit, kind of got you started. And so there's kind of, we had like a leveled concept. And as we started to attract new customers and with really like, I think new goals, like less of the kind of high end athletic performance and more on the, I want to get a decent workout in, in my kind of, you know, smaller at home space, we started to see more people kind of in the kind of like lighter medium resistance. And so we packaged that up into an at-home kit that allowed people to, you know, to use 25 square feet of space and a door and, and get really 90% of the workout that, that Tom and Gronk and those guys do uh, most days. Awesome. And I have some supply chain questions for you, but Nick, to jump back over to you with, um, let's, let's say with Judy, which is such a high demand product, or maybe some examples from other brands that you're working with. What did that look like from the supplier side? Because I know that hospitals and a lot of frontline workers are demanding a lot of the same products and you see what Flexport and others are doing. And and before a lot of these products even really touch the US, they're routing them to the hospital. So if you could just talk through a little bit about how you've been able to navigate that. You know, we we definitely had, I wouldn't say an issue, but there was there was the reroute of a lot of that critical equipment. So we were lucky in the sense that we had a solid amount of inventory. Maybe a little too much, we thought, when we were actually starting, but it ended up working out just fine, thankfully. You know, after we started to look for for things like masks and gloves, we found a supplier that was able to supply us with masks. And then we actually went ahead and donated, I think, a total of 75,000 masks. And then, you know, after we realized that, like, it's not, what's the word? Like, they have enough masks now. Then we've started taking them back and incorporating them into our kits. But yeah, I mean, Judy is also a product where, you know, we're sourcing a ton of different stuff. We're also making a lot of it too. So it's quite a complicated supply chain. Are you sourcing primarily in the US now and before? What what did that mix look like? To be honest, I don't know completely, but I don't think they would be happy with me saying even if I did. <laughs> and then yeah, I might answer Gerald's question. So Gerald said, can you provide? Yeah, Gerald, honestly, I don't know. If I knew, I would probably, I would definitely tell you for the masks, but I just don't know. There are there is honestly probably people in this who are watching this live that have connections to either dropshippers or suppliers that sell masks. And what's been interesting too, what um one of uh one of our guests said the other day is 
he was actually able to start tapping some of his competitors as well to find specific items within the supply chain to help manufacture uh, different parts of like the masks or other PPE equipment as well. And then Kurt, um, if we're going to jump into the weeds on maybe specific tactics or items that have helped, and if you want to specific brands, please go for it. But what, what have you seen work and really help get these brands to these Black Friday, Cyber Monday levels? Sure. So it's a confluence of factors. Number one, there has never been a better time to spend money on PPC ads across the board. It, you know, depending on the what you're targeting, it is around fifteen to twenty-two percent lower than you know, January, February levels for PPC ads. So that like your PPC ad budget is going to go at least twenty percent further than it used to. That helps a lot. Engagement is higher than ever because you have more eyeballs on social media. So just being out there and connecting with people works and you can uh, iterate through ads very quickly now. But when we did that, like that 72 hour flash sale example, I said earlier, that was at the end of March. That was because we didn't know, are they still going to be able to fulfill and sell orders? So we said, we got to turn this inventory into cash. And when we, we used like our standard Facebook ads funnel setup, you know, where it's like cold traffic, warm traffic, hot traffic, you know, a lot of retargeting. The retargeting ads were doing 50X or better return on ad spend. It's just wild. You'd never see stuff like that in the last several years because Facebook ads got so saturated. So number one, like just the not being afraid of going with the usual playbook of, of PPC ads and sales funnels seems to work well. People are, are doing retail therapy. So if you're in a category where it's like, all right, I could feel good about myself. And you can think about it like literally through the lens of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where if like your product in some way makes a person feel safe, if it makes they, you know, if it somehow soothes their ego, if it um, improves their environment, all of those like Mas, those things that tick off levels on Maslow's hierarchy of needs do really well. And sometimes it could be like repositioning a product as such. As an example of doing that, that I absolutely love KeySmart. This is a local Chicago brand, KeySmart. They sell a key organizer, and one of the accessories they sold for this key organizer was a a stylus. And the owner's uh, dad was immunocompromised. He said, oh, you know, I, that stylus, I use it so I don't have to touch anything. I poke elevator buttons and the, the ATM machine, point of sale terminal. So they thought, well, that's interesting. And they took, they, went, they took photos of that and they put it, just ran ads like that. And immediately the sales of this thing exploded. They sold out of it within uh, a few days. It was tremendous. But that was a product they had and sold, you know, was like mediocre at the time. And then as soon as they change the positioning to, hey, this helps keep you safe, this is a practical PPE item, whoa, suddenly sales explode. So I would say, like, look for those opportunities. Or, you know, we just got a lot of people who transitioned yeah. to, like, we're going to make masks now. Yeah. And they just is keep that the peel tool? Is that? Said, is, that, is that the peel tool? No, the stylus isn't. So on Kickstarter, there was the hygiene hand. And then there are a whole series of just, like, complete knockoffs of that uh, uh, like key smarts clean key they launched that later that's doing crazy numbers the peel version seen lots of those the, i mean they're going to be everywhere they're on aliexpress for like an oh, smart. yeah not the branding play but it was yeah, it's been fascinating to see those where somebody gets a little bit of traction then it blows up everywhere and it, it's specific like that clean key it's literally like if you have access to a cnc or a flowjet machine and a brass plate you cut those things all day it's just a really easy thing to design and manufacture. Here we have another operations question. This one comes from Colin. And I don't know, Mike, maybe your best answer to this. So 
our company's in the process of choosing a fulfillment company for our e-commerce sales. What are the main aspects we should consider when choosing a partner? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I think I think it really just like a lot of things is like what what is the goal of your kind of e-commerce fulfillment operation? And there are a few that you know come to mind. Like could be you want to maintain your brand's super premium feel with a lot of customization, with kind of high touch type literature, marketing, those kind of things. So that could be a goal. Or your goal could be we're we're in a competitive set where we want to get our products into the hands of the the ultimate consumer as quickly and as inexpensively as possible. And a lot of times those things kind of like, you know, that they can potentially um, conflict or potentially you can find a partner that can do that can do all of it. So I, mean, I think that's what when we set out two years ago looking for a fulfillment partner, um, we kind of looked at it through both lenses. Obviously, you know, there's a there's kind of a premium aspect to our brand. We certainly want to maintain that with like a high quality unboxing experience, et cetera. And then um, we also play in a space where, you know, for particularly our consumables, you know, Amazon uh, there's a lot of competitor or serves a lot of, com- of our competitors apparel as well, where we want to be fast and, um, you know, we have to kind of maintain it within our kind of target that we're looking at for, you know, as a fulfillment, as a percentage of, percentage of sales, really. Perfect. Th- thanks, Mike. And then kind of related, maybe I'll take this one from Thomas over in the question section. We're in the beverage industry starting 20% e-com, 80% B2B through, I'm assuming, Marina Valley. Two Shopify sites. Needs to learn more about B2B fulfillment. This one, we can probably best answer outside of this chat. Um, Thomas, I will give you my email address. You can email me directly and uh, hit the send button. Perfect. There we go. Uh, but keep, please keep the questions coming. This one, I think, is just very specific for this audience. Um, but Thomas, happy to answer that. And then here's a question from Don. And maybe, Nick, uh, we'll start with you. So Don asks, how is the current market for launching CPG brands under $20? And maybe to add a little bit to that, Nick, how maybe whether it be Judy or House or something else, what what do you what are the what's most important for you when you think about launching a brand? You know, maybe regardless of industry or price point. Yeah, I always work backwards from distribution. So like when I hear $20, the first thing I hear is underwater customer acquisition. I always think that you know, there's a couple of things you want to look for. So like I look for one, is it a consumable or is it a one-time purchase? Cause that dictates a lot around the pricing and also the distribution strategy, especially as far as it comes with acquiring customers. Secondly, what's the weight of the product? Because that also factors in. So if they buy something for 20 bucks, but it weighs 10 pounds, it might cost you 10 bucks to ship it. Third is, is there a repeat purchase or reorder? And then fourth is like, what kind of function does it actually serve? Is it a, is it the fourth version of the stylus that's coming out that doesn't really have a value prop because there's already a company that did it? Is it the fourth version of, you know, men's skincare that's now coming to market? Like, does it really have a functional value prop? So those are the things I look for. And then I think like, like I, I definitely think, I mean, I'm in the process right now of launching a brand that their order value or their main product they sell, everything is $10. But they're doing something where you have to buy three items every time you want to check out. So automatically, your order value is 30 bucks. It's also a high repeat purchase. So it's okay if you pay $50 for that customer up front 
as long as they come back twice, you're somewhat in the green. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with launching anything for 20. So long as, I mean, Hintwater is 20 bucks a case and they're doing, you know, probably 60 million this year in revenue online. You just have to have either a good retention system built out to come get them back, or it, it should be a consumable where there is um, obvious repeat purchases. Awesome. And talk us through, I think what's been interesting seeing some of the brands that you're running or advising in is just adding kind of like a unique spin and paying attention to some of the details, like with what you shared with the Tiger King link from, from Judy, even the hover tool, it's like a flashlight, which aligns so well to the brand. It's just like the little things that I think a lot of people don't think about. So with this example of that brand, you said you were getting ready to launch $10 an item. I hear the same thing. I'm like, all right, well, between marketing and fulfillment, you're going to be way underwater unless mm-hmm. they're in the longer term. How are you guys positioning the brand or maybe the checkout experience to force that that three product purchase? So you'll actually not be able to check out unless you have three products. Hopefully though, the sites, you know, whether it's the PDPs or the slide out cart or the cart page itself, either upsells you to two more pairs of the product or like gets you into some kind of membership. But I think in that site specifically, it'll be it'll be a minimum of three products in the cart to purchase. And then, so Nick Potter, you asked Kurt, um, if you were doing the Insta ads, you've been seeing them everywhere, but you said that that's done by the KeySmart team. Yeah, there's a, a gentleman, Andrew Bedell, who's worked there forever. We become friends. I went to Disney World with him right before everything got shut down. If you visit that site, uh, that I, li- I linked to the, the two products we were talking about earlier um, and put those uh, in the chat. If you visit that site, you will get hit with fantastic examples of remarketing ads. And when you see those ads, look at the comments and you'll see there's a lot of like crazy comments in there. And I asked him, I said, why don't you take these out? Why do you leave them? He said, because it increases engagement. Facebook sees all the comments. That's engagement. He's like, it increases my reach and lowers my ad spend. So there's a... <laughs> There's a quick ad tip for you. No, I like that. So I they're, they're, they're solid ads. I mean, uh, I've seen a lot of companies that do try to pivot and add, you know, uh, you know, face mask and really intrusive, right? Like it's just like a mask, you know, from a random brand that you've never even heard of. But like these were really well put together. I think it was on Instagram. Yeah. That, but definitely check them out. I guess go to that website. You'll get retargeted like Kurt was saying, but it's just really well done. Uh, I didn't check. I didn't go into the comments sections, but you're not going to imagine, but not, like I said, just, I was really curious. Really well done. <laughs> And he actually, he told me um, several times before the formula for doing those ads. It's you start, you write down, okay, what are five selling propositions? What are like the five bullet points that are in the product description, the, re- the benefits you should buy this? And then he's like, all right, just take those five and make a slideshow, an animated slideshow out of that with photos, run that as a video ad, see what happens and use that to like iterate quickly. Once you have like the five that work, well, that just became your storyboard. Then go make that into a video. Okay, now try like different edits and cuts of that video. And what you're going to get retargeted with is the end result work. But that's that formula or that's the process they use that lets them iterate through and find you know, winning ad, winning ads very quickly. I love that. That's something you can stand up really quickly without having to go through the whole video process. And then, you know, you're obviously learning much more inexpensively. That, that's a great idea. Question here in the chat from Eunice. What barcodes does ShipBob need on the product? They're doing FBA and would like to expand to Shopify. Is FNSKU okay? Eunice, again, here, I'll drop my email in here on these questions. 
I can answer those directly and provide you all the specifics you need. Uh, so please feel free to message me there. And then Mike, if you have anything to chime in as a, as a customer as well, uh, you might know best too. Here's a question um, from, from Evan over in the question section. I'm in the process of launching a new UV product that is relevant to the current COVID-19 situation. Production's finishing this week and I need to decide between air and sea shipping. Shipping in C is 800 USD, which is about, let's see, I don't know that, uh, and then air freight's around 6,000 USD. So obviously a big difference. I also don't know how many products or units that you're ordering. There's a 30 day difference in shipping times. What do you suggest? So I'll open that to the, uh, um, to this group here before I jump in. Any suggestions for those of you that manufacture overseas and your suggestions for Evan here? I mean, I would say if you're going to miss out on $5,200 of revenue, you should probably tear it in. Yeah. The other thing you could do is see if you can split it. So, I mean, sometimes yeah. I know air freight's tough right now, but sometimes if you only do a couple pallets air freight to get started, if that can get you, you know, if that can meet your projections for a month, maybe you can get cute with it. But I would agree with, with Nick on that. Love that idea. Here we go from Evan, a thousand units. Okay. Yeah. So $6 a unit to air it in, which isn't too bad. But yeah, that, that's a great idea too, is seeing if you could possibly split it. Here's a question that actually I get this all the time. And I'd actually love to open this up to all three of you guys. So Mike, Nick, and Kurt, um, if you guys want to chime in here. So this is from, uh, from Michael. How do you balance free shipping tiers or do you offer it at all? Feel like we can never compete with Amazon. What do you suggest? This is so dependent on your margin, right? If you're manufacturing good yourself, you have a much better margin. Generally, you're going to be able to offer free shipping and build into the cost. When you're selling, reselling other people's stuff, or like you have mixed carts where some of it's your stuff, some of it's other people's stuff you're reselling, this is where it gets harder. And that's where um, I would say try and set a, a free shipping threshold. I really believe free shipping is the expectation and the standard. And if you're doing anything less than that, it, it's going to work against you and be a disservice. But it just is not always practical for all brands. So generally, the way I would go about this, if you can't offer free shipping and everything, is look at it as a way to increase your average order value. So find your average order value, tack 10 to 20% onto that. That's your free shipping threshold. But then really over-communicate it. And I think uh, Chewy.com, the pet supply site, does a really good job of this under the add to cart button and in the cart, there is a progress bar that shows you how far you are away from free shipping. Yeah. So when you over communicate it, then it's like, well, it's not that they don't offer free shipping. It's that you're just not spending enough, right? Like kind of shifts the onus of free shipping onto the consumer. But when it's well communicated and it's a reasonable threshold, say 25 or 50 bucks, those tend to be the standards that works pretty well, but I would base it off your average order value. And then, Make sure you have like some kind of dynamic messaging for it, like right by your cart subtotal that says, you know, if it's 50 bucks and I add 20 bucks, it goes, you're $30 away from free shipping. And then when I'm over the threshold, it also lets us over communicate it. You know, you qualify, your order qualifies for free shipping. Yeah, we, I was going to say, we did a, we did the same uh, progress bar, probably started late last or mid last year. And it's been helpful. It's actually, there's obviously a lot that goes into it, especially for us. We have, products at a lot of different price points. But since we launched it, our AOV has increased by about 15%. So I, I would attribute some of that 15% to um, you know to folks going for that free shipping. We're, so we're seeing a lot more orders um, shipping for free, which you know, to your point, 
the margins can withstand it then and also we're shipping you know i think pretty inexpensively with the ship on network that makes it a reasonable proposition for us that's awesome i'm gonna i'm gonna pull up a screenshot of uh, your guys's um example there i i love this idea this is one of the things i love about well one why we're running this series but just the the innovation we're seeing from different brands i'd say over the last couple of weeks in particular uh, just to be able to like steal and take ideas you know from from like the judy example to the ads that you're seeing on get smart or get key smart to your stuff with tv12 so i'll drop that in nick what about you where i know that you you know you really go hard on like the brand side of it and, and using that to, to build you know let's just call it like a movement or community how do you view free shipping or fast shipping or a combination of both from a marketing like point of view i always try to get like the fastest shipping option and also free shipping but well one right now it's kind of halted the the fast shipping but with free shipping i think the best example is when when i was at hint we had you know our goal was it it was actually wired backwards from our boxes so our boxes we could ship one two or three cases in different box sizes but three was the max and they would all go for the same cost let's say it goes for 10 bucks. So whether the person bought one case or two cases or three cases, it would cost us 10. Under two cases, we would charge the consumer five. So we would basically eat five. And over three cases, the margins on the product were good enough to where we would just cover the shipping for free. So that did two things. One, it raised the order value from about 15 bucks to roughly like, like 48. And without touching the acquisition cost, Secondly, whenever we ran promotions, we did it in three, six, or nine batches, or three, six, or nine case batches. So like our uh, Black Friday was nine for 99, which is a total steal because it's $11 a case where it's normally 20. However, the margins were good enough to where the deal made sense and the volume was bigger. So that's, that's my favorite example of shipping is like looking at what, what are the actual cogs and, and the ways that they're, it's packaged and then working backwards from that. That's a great example. And Nick, that nails with, so Thomas in the question section said, beverage shipping challenges at 11 to 12 pounds per order. How many offerings should we use and how to customers? And so I was going to ask for a little bit of context on his question, but Nick, I think you nailed it both on how you handled shipping, how you handled bundles, uh, and then how, how that impacted the marketing side as well. Um, yeah, I mean bundles bundles are like such a no-brainer. I talk about it all the time. I just don't understand why more brands don't do bundles. But if you can do bundles, you're not only optimizing your shipping costs, you're getting more product in their hands so the whole household can try. They might have different flavors or scents or fragrances or or types of products that they like. You know, for us at Hint, it was great because we had different we had still, we had sparkly caffeinated, then we had 27 different flavors. So the bundling really allowed everybody to kind of find their flavor. So speaking of bundles, because I completely agree, bundles and subscription. With coronavirus hitting and the zeitgeist shifting almost overnight to stockpiling or hoarding or preparation, have mm-hmm. you seen a change in consumer behavior in receptiveness to bundles or people basically creating their own bundles? And how's that played out over the last couple of weeks? I haven't seen people interact with bundles in a negative way. I think to Kurt's point earlier, there's definitely verticals that are like beauty or, or um, fragrance are not really seeing a crazy amount of sales. But then there are industries like whether it's protein powder or 
Tushy is crushing it. Poopery is crushing it. Like all these random different things that you probably just don't necessarily think of. You know, when they run bundles, they're they're still killing it. Here's a question from Shay, and maybe Kurt will tap you to to provide uh, some more examples of things you like. So from Shay, what are the most creative ways you've seen brands pivot or market during these times? So if you want to again pull up a handful of the other examples that you had, you had teed up. That Keysmart's my go-to. I really like that one. Some of the others, you know, it it doesn't necessarily have to be like the product itself. It could also, um, it could be, you know, if you donate to a charitable cause. So like extending out that Keysmart one, they said, hey, we're donating like X percent to um, COVID-19 relief. We're donating PPE. You can request a donation. And oh, by the way, our CEO also donated his salary. Wow. Let's put your money where your mouth is. I've got uh, a client, Vex Latex. They sell uh, uh, high fashion fetish wear. It, it's latex clothing, but she designed for like Lady Gaga, Beyonce. And so on her site, what she started selling was like entirely non-functional latex masks, but an, an inexpensive item that was stylish that people could buy that represented the brand. And for every one, they made like a fixed donation to um, a COVID-19 relief fund. And that worked really well. We've seen people who are like, all right, we're just going to sell our regular product, but it's like part of a concerted fundraising effort. Okay, that can work well. You know, I had more written down. Well, well, well Nick also mentioned, and, and Nick and Mike, you guys can throw out some more as well, but you mentioned poopery. We've seen uh, some of these, the day customers of ours just blow yeah, up. Yeah, Dude Wipes just launched another one called the Dude, I think it's the Dude Wiper 1000. <laughs> oh, I saw this yesterday. Yeah, yes. that's cool. Yeah, they killed it with that launch. That's awesome. I own a bidet. I ran out of toilet paper, and now so I'm like, I've become a bidet evangelist. I'm like, tell everybody, right. like, right. 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 enough toilet paper. <laughs> you, know, you can get a bidet, you just weigh less. <laughs> so, so right. over there. Love You're it. doing something okay. good for the environment over there. <laughs> and then, um, speaking of the nonprofit and the charitable side, um, I know that's something we focused on with Chef Bob. We launched the giving fund for our fulfillment center teams. And then Mike, that's something that was you know, very important for you all at, at TB12. Can you just share a little bit about what you guys did on the charitable side and, and how you were able to bring that, not into like even like necessarily marketing sales, but also in like your core business? Yes, yeah, so we did a couple different things. On the e-com side, the biggest thing we did was we did a promo with an organization yeah. called Gives. It's G I V Z. I can I can put them in the in the chat. Basically, it was uh, it was a kind of a classic spend get. But what you get is the ability to donate right on the Shopify order confirmation page to either a charity of your choice, or we selected three that we felt were needed right now as as suggestions, really. And it ended up being a a really good promotion for us that we did toward the end of March through like the middle of April, probably the, after the first 10 days, like most things, it starts to, to trail off a little bit, I think, in the in the effect. But super easy plug-in. Um, you can set a threshold for the spend get, and then they kind of manage the um, distribution of funds for you as well. So that was great because I think it was important to all of us as we were you know, seeing the events unfold. Also, in an extremely busy like e-com business, you know, we're still putting in the hours, and ho- but hoping that you know, or I guess understanding that, you know, the world needs some, some positivity and some love. So um, I think it was good for like internal team morale as well, that we, um, that we were able to get something like that going pretty quickly. And then with our services business, where those of you who don't know, TB12, 
kind of the, the core concept of the TB12 business is a body coach, um, client, in-person performance and recovery session. So one, like an hour-long body coach treatment session, essentially. And so for services, we have to say to shift virtual for a period of time. And we started offering those immediately free to kind of frontline um, healthcare and, uh, you know, grocery and police workers just to try to do something that, um, you know, hopefully for folks that it's probably, you know, super stressful, want to make sure that there's immunity benefits to kind of everything that we do in terms of active lifestyle and, you know, some advice on nutrition and supplementation and those things. Uh, so we started offering those free and they still are virtual sessions to, to talk with a body coach and talk about any physical or, or mental or anything else you have going on that, um, that we can potentially help with. Nice. That's awesome. And I know a friend of mine, um, Ron, he runs a company called Shopping Gives. They're also in the, the Shopify app store. They might be in the Commerce app store as well. Uh, they, they really make charitable giving really easy. They work with you know, up and coming D2C brands to some of the biggest retailers out there. And then I know Paul, who chimed in here earlier, Paul, how to be running BK Beauty. They've done a lot of good stuff as well. So if you guys want to just check out some other examples to get, you know, creativity running. So everybody in the audience, all of our speakers, really appreciate your time. I have one last question for the group. I want to go one by one. But really, what is like the number one piece of advice you give to brands, you know, whether it be coronavirus right now or just running their, their brand in general? Mike, we'll start with you. What's, what's your number one piece of advice? Number one piece of advice is, and I really believe this, I think that all businesses are people businesses. And at the core, like the people that are running the business are and how well you're able to treat them or how well your business is going to do. So that's been a big thing for us as well over the last kind of eight weeks that's been, um, that we've been working from home and trying to maintain that community, figure out what we can do to make people's, um, you know, make people's time a little bit better as we're actually kind of, you know, we're working more. Uh, than we were before, and uh, and 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 with you know some additional stress factors. So that was probably my number one piece of advice. I, I love that. I feel like the we've gotten. This is my favorite question. I should just ask at the beginning because the info we get at this time is is the best. And everybody focuses on, I'd say, more more on the customer. But I love this, Mike, where it's focus on the business first, and then that's you know because that's really where the brand starts, and then that's going to really be what spills out you know to you know your future end customers as well. Nick, we'll jump over to you. What's your what's your number uh, one piece of advice? I think uh, be like hyper, hyper aware of what you say and how you say it. And then after that, just remember that like you're a brand, you're not responsible or obligated to go be, you know, to go console somebody or make feel cozy all the time. Like be a brand sometimes. Love it. Kurt? I think you need to address the number one concern of everyone who visits your website, which is, are you still shipping? Unless you explicitly state it, no one knows. So on your site, the announcement bar at the top of that site, that way it appears on every single page, should say, yes, we're still shipping. And then bonus points, I better be able to click on that announcement bar and get to a collection of in-stock products. That's a great tip. That was one of the things that came up last week where a lot of people were able to get really cheap clicks from their target audience, but people were dropping off a lot at the checkout point. And somebody from the audience threw out, well, have you put on your website that you're still shipping and that you still have inventory? Because that is a big question. I mean, I'm experiencing that with some of Amazon and Amazon's, you know, arguably the most well-run c- company in the world. 
I'm still waiting 60 days later to receive a product. So, but you know, let people know that you're shipping. So I'll run through those again real quick. One, all businesses are people businesses that treat people well. Hyper aware of what you say and how you say it, and then address the fact that you are still shipping. Getting back to the fundamentals, I like it. So again, everybody in the audience, I know you have a lot going on. I appreciate your time. Mike, Nick, Kurt, really appreciate you dropping some knowledge here. And then Nick Cotter over on the ShipHop team, you know, thanks for facilitating this, making this happen. Every week we're here, Wednesdays, 3 o'clock Central Time. Uh, we made it a little bit earlier this week, or a little bit later this week. So again, thank you, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thank you. See you guys. Thanks, everyone.